The CFRN E-Mini Futures Cast is now on Stitcher. Listen to us on your iPhone, Android phones, BlackBerry, and WebOS phones. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. You're listening to CFRN, a community of believers who trade for a living. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and how we do it, call toll-free 1-866-928-3310 and we'll send you out a no-obligation information kit absolutely free. 866-928-3310. Good afternoon. Welcome back. Today is Friday. It is the 16th day of August 2013, and you're listening to Releasing Kings with myself, Dwayne Reeves, host and my co-host, Mr. John Garfield, author of the book, Releasing Kings for Ministry in the Marketplace. We have a couple of very special guests with us today, uh, Matt Tandy from Team Tandy, and also Coney Orozco from Missions for Orphans. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Hello, Dwayne. John, how are you? Good. How are you guys? Doing real well. That's that's Matt's voice, and Uh I heard John's voice. Coney, how about you? Have we got you on the call yet? All right. Well, uh, he's dialing in, so let me go to the uh, admin panel and see if I can spot it. Oh, there he is. There he is. I found you. So you uh, you logged in on the computer. Good afternoon. Coney, are you there? All right. John, uh, this is Matt. Matt, John. Um, John is, of course, author of the book, Releasing Kings. We do this podcast every other Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern. For those of you who are not familiar with the book, uh, go to releasingkings.com and, of course, pick yourself up a copy. Uh, More than an idea, it is a movement, and we'll let John talk a little bit about that here in a moment. Matt, I'm just getting to know you as a CFRN partner. Now, Coney, who's going to be joining us here on the call in just a moment, I've known him for a number of years. We've worked together, ministered together, traveled to Africa together. But, uh, Matt, give us a little uh, information on you, your background, the ministry. Who is Matt <laughs> That's a great question. Um, <laughs> You're still trying to figure that out, right? <laughs> That's right. Every day I learn something new. Um, yeah, I'm I'm married. I've been married for about 15 years, and uh, we've got a couple kids, uh, Harley and Blake. Uh, Blake's 10, and Harley's 11. And uh, we were former military, so we did quite a bit of moving. We were in for about eight years and left the military in 2002. Uh, which was about the time we became Christians, was uh, around the 01 time frame. And uh, we ended up just south of Charlotte, North Carolina, about 20 minutes south of Charlotte. And uh, 
came here just kind of completely starting over our lives and uh, I've, I've been an entrepreneur at heart my entire life uh, the military was a little different chapter but uh, a rewarding one and a lot of good experiences there uh, but yeah over the past uh, few years we've lived in Central America and and before that we started a few successful businesses that uh, uh, just had amazing experiences with the Lord and how he blessed those businesses. Uh, but here we are now. We just got back into the States uh, a little over a week ago and are just getting settling, settled back in. Are you planning to stay here in the States now or are you headed back at some point? I'm not sure. It's really, it's ultimately God's plan, but I think he's got us back here for a, a little while. We, uh, our kids are entering the sixth grade and fifth grade um, so I think we'll be here for maybe through high school but you never quite know with the Lord's plans exactly well now the, the typical missionary goes to take the gospel where it hasn't been preached or to places where it needs to be preached but you went with a little bit of a different idea I mean more than just the gospel you took the idea and the concept if, if I understand it correctly uh, to help men not only find Jesus, but to become um, self-sustaining? Is that, would that be the right terminology for it? Uh, yes, sir. It's you know, Back in '09, the Lord started stirring in our hearts. Um, we had a company we had just sold, and it was successful. And the company we currently have now was operating. It didn't need me. We had a good team. and So I was kind of sitting around thinking what was next. And a friend of mine said, have you thought about mission work? And I started doing research, and the typical missionary are, you know, they start churches, they disciple. And, you know, my talents have been creating businesses. And then I came across the concept of business as mission. And so we researched all of 2009 and 2010, and then finally uh, in 2011 started the process. We um, went to some training in North Carolina and then left the country in June 2011 with the intent of finding men who loved the Lord and needed a source of income. And, and then we would come in and, and help them create a business. And, and we got to do that in Costa Rica as well as Guatemala. Now, did you have, did you have a church behind you? Uh, the, the financial resources to get this thing up and running, was that from you selling your own business? Yeah, uh, we we have a great church uh, who has been very supportive and just on board with the whole concept of uh, they need to hear about the gospel, but they also need to be able to put food on their table. And um, yes, with the sale of my first company, we were able to uh, fund these startup companies. And it wasn't a lot of money, but we um, it was the Matthew 25 where the Lord you know, t the parable of the talents. We just didn't want to put our talents in the dirt. We wanted to put them to work and be bold and, and watch the Lord multiply those. You were in Africa, Matt? No, we were down in Costa Rica for six months uh, to attend language school and uh, saw an opportunity for a coffee business there. And then we went to Guatemala for 18 months and helped a guy there start a laundromat. What's your experience? Hey, 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 if you can hang on just one second. John, can we get your volume up just a little bit? Is that possible? I don't know if that makes a difference or not, does it? Uh, yeah, yeah, actually. I hear Matt real clear. You seem to be a little distance. And let me do a check here. Coney, are you on the line yet? 
still know. Hmm. I know he was logged in a moment ago, and then we lost him. He's got spotty internet service where he is. Okay. Well, yeah, I just want to open up the discussion here, John. I want you to come on in, and I know you've got you know some questions from Matt, and you want to learn more about what he's been up to. So by all means, just uh, come ahead with any questions that you have. Yeah, share your experience, um, you know, making the entrepreneurial spirit contagious. <laughs> um, yeah, we... When we got into Costa Rica, we really just thought it was, you know, to be there for language school. Um, but the owner of the language school, he was a Christian language school, and um, he and I were just talking one day. And of course, coffee's really big in Costa Rica. And being an entrepreneur, we're always looking, we're just always looking for opportunities. And we saw the opportunity to start a processing plant where we would buy coffee fruit from farmers, uh, process the coffee, and then sell the uh, the raw bean, the green beans to roasters. And uh, we had land available. Um, Hector, who owns the language school, um, has 10 acres of land, and we were able to put the processing equipment on that land. Plus, he had about eight acres um, available to him to plant coffee. And when we sat down and talked to him, uh, the idea just seemed to just to be right. We prayed about it and did our di uh, due diligence. And, the, you know, the, the neat thing about this business is uh, it'll help provide an income to Hector. Uh, he, he has some income from the language school because he started that. Um, but it'll also uh, help him who also get some income from this coffee business. Hector is also the pastor for the local church, and he's the worship team leader. And so he's wearing multiple hats. And we just wanted to come in. He knows his culture better than we do. But if we can come in and help him create a sustainable business to help him keep food on the table, as well as use portions of the profits to help his church in their mission, uh, they work with some indigenous people in the mountains of Costa Rica, um, then great. So we started the process of opening the coffee business in August of 2011, and it was up and running uh, by January 2011. And we just finished our first harvest at the end of 2012, and we're getting ready to start the next harvest here in a few months. And it's just a great opportunity uh, to use the business as a platform to share Christ and uh, coffee. You know, you plant it, and at the end of the day, you got to trust the Lord to grow a healthy, uh, a healthy plant. Did you ever meet the, a guy named Jeff Erickson or Camino Island Coffee? He works in Guatemala helping farmers. Raise a crop and then has a coffee business to use the product. No, we didn't. Um, we'd met another gentleman, uh, Joel uh, Perez. Uh, he's uh, in Guatemala City, but has got a large coffee plantation. But I didn't. I, I did not meet those gentlemen. Yeah, it seems like the pattern is, uh, you know, our, our history is that uh, we send out missionaries, uh, sort of a church expense. Well, they raise their own support, and then they come back once a year to raise support. And the and the pastors that they spawn also come back to the United States for their support. <laughs> right. It's and that model is still alive and well. Most, almost all of the missionaries that we came in contact were living on support and had to go through the process of uh, of generating support. The business we currently have now, um, it was our 
source of support. The church did help us a little bit, but 90% of our income that we lived on came from the business that we created here in the States. Um, we just we just felt that you know, God gave us the ability to create incomes, and we had the flexibility, so uh, let's let's sell everything and be radical and, and head head to another place and see if we can duplicate what we've learned uh, through others. Matt, hang, hang on one second. Uh, Tony, are you on the line now? Tony, are you on the are you on the line? He tried to dial in and uh, the phone wouldn't accept the hash sign, a little pound sign you got to push in. Now he's logged in with his headset, but I don't know if you can hear me or not, Tony. But we're not able to hear you. Don't know if you have a mute button, maybe yeah, on your it. headset. Huh? Oh, you just unmuted yourself, it looks like. Okay. Hey, I can hear you. All right. <laughs> Good Lord. All right, that's great. Okay, Matt, that was that was your warm up. Now you get to tell that story all over again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no problem. Hey guys, this is my uh, this is my good friend Coney uh, Orozco. He's been my pastor for many years and just a, a mentor and a friend. And he and I've ministered together, traveled to Africa together, and so he's joining us on the call today to share his experiences, what he's living through right now in uh, Katali, Kenya. Uh, we began together an orphanage uh, across the border in Kampala, Uganda, East Africa. He's branched out now. He's over in Katali. And uh, the two people that are on the call with us today, Coney, is John Garfield, the author of the book, Releasing Kings, and Matt Tandy, he just came back from Guatemala, and he was telling us about, he started two businesses while he was on his missions trip. One was a laundromat, and the other was a coffee business. And I know, Coney, you've talked about growing tea, is that correct? Yes, yes, we have uh, started last year. And we're getting ready to plant them. Now, Matt, yeah. did you say that you were roasting coffee or were you growing the coffee? Uh, we were growing the coffee. We've got about 12,000 plants that will be at full production in a couple years. But we're going to grow it and then uh, leave the roasting up to uh, the buyers. Okay. And now, Coney, how many plants have you got in the ground? Uh, 20,000. Wow. That's... And 20, now, what's the life cycle on a, on a tea plant? Uh, they say it's over 80 years. 80 oh. years? Is 80 that, years. Matt, is that, what about coffee? Uh, coffee, a uh, good healthy coffee could be 15, 20, maybe 25 years. Interesting. Hey, Connie, could you kind of just give the audience and these two guys just a little background information on you and, and how you ended up in, in Kenya and, and, and what's going on there? What are you doing? Well, we, uh, uh, as you were the same, we were uh, ministering in Kampala with an orphanage. And then uh, we made another trip to a friend of mine who has a, an orphanage in Bondo, Kenya. And uh, we take uh, groups of people. And this one particular time, I took my uh, uh, daughter with me. And uh, we were just ministering in schools and at the orphanage. And my daughter was in the back of this truck and uh, the truck ran out of gas like normal and uh, this young 
mother came with her son. Now, you say he, some of you may have missed that. He said the truck ran out of gas like normal. I mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's an everyday occurrence. When we were there the first time, uh, we stopped at a gas station to put gas in Chris's car, and the guy came up. They still pumped your gas there, and he said, uh, how much gas do you want? And, and I just leaned out the window very cavalier. I said, yeah, fill it up. <laughs> and Chris turned around. He was driving, and he looked at his wife in the passenger seat, and then he looked at me, and he said, oh, my God. And I said, what? He goes, this car is over 20 years old. It's never had a full tank of gas. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry, Tony, I interrupted you. Go ahead. <laughs> well, that's fine because all those stories are really good. <laughs> so when this young lady, this young woman came up with her son, she uh, – she asked my daughter to look at her son and that uh, when she looked at him, he had a hernia. He was born uh, with his intestines, his testicles out of his, uh, out of the front there. And so my daughter, she's one dimensional in him when she's in Africa. She just took it upon herself to help uh, this mother and... Uh, so we took the boy to the hospital. This story is really good. She helped the boy, and he had an operation. But that uh, moved me to believe that I could help people like that. <laughs> and she told my daughter that uh, she'd been praying that someone would, would come and help her son. And we were those people. We just uh, my daughter uh, was in that truck that ran out of gas and. And uh, now we're in Kenya. We've been there for two years. <laughs> so that's how I started. I was moved with this, compassion. This little boy, you gave him the gift of life, and we know you can't put a price on a life, but let's put a price on this one in dollars and cents. What did it cost to save his life? Uh, I, I use the term uh, three pizzas. Three wow. pizzas. <laughs> 70, I think it was $70. Amazing. <laughs> Truly amazing. Now, right before you came on, Coney, they were t uh, John had brought up that there's this model that's been going on for years, or Matt may have been the one to bring it up, but I believe Matt said it's still going on today, where a missionary will go to a third world country, they'll minister, and then they have to come back home a certain number of months out of the year to raise money to go back to the mission field. And while they're in the mission field, that the pastors they raise up there, they then teach them how to come to the U.S., and raise funds. Right. And what do you think about that model, and can we do a better job? Well, I think it's really uh, old school, if you want to use those terms. Because mm -hmm. what happens, the missionary spends more time at home trying to raise finances to support himself on the mm -hmm. mission field. And then discouragement comes. Uh, you know, he has to visit so many churches and and uh, and uh, try to get those funds so he can support himself. And uh, I'm a pastor, and I have a church. And what I did is I uh, worked for a number of years, and I got a good, nice retirement, and I have a church. And so the combination of those two things really has helped me, so I can be in Africa and stay there. You know, without raising funds. Hmm. Now, when we when we talked yesterday, you told me how many men do you have that you've created jobs for right now? 
We have a, a 22 acre farm that we grow food for orphans and widows, and then we uh, lease some other land, and we have uh, 12 families, 12, 12 men that work for us, and uh, we pay them $100 a month. And that, in, in, in ratio, that, that's 8,000 shillings, their money, and they can uh, live well. Uh, sounds uh, sounds kind of crazy, hundred dollars a month, but right. they do live well, and uh, they send their kids to school and pay school fees. And it's pretty amazing. I was uh, pretty flabbergasted that they could live off a hundred dollars a month. Uh, yeah, it is amazing. I mean, we talk about. I mean, here in America, uh, a man can barely. You really you can't support a family here off a hundred dollars. A day, much less a month. So it's it's hard to even conceive of how far the dollar goes when you get into some of these countries. Now, Matt, where you were, you were in Guatemala, and where else were you? In Costa Rica. Costa Rica. What's the cost of living like there? In Guatemala, a guy could live well, making about three hundred dollars a month. He could live okay. a middle a middle class income. In Costa Rica, it was similar. It was uh, two fifty to you know three fifty, depending on where they're at in Costa Rica. But yeah, they could live a you know they could live a middle class lifestyle. So, Cody, these uh, did you say it's 10, 12 guys you have working now? Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. And so, before you came along, and before, how were they surviving? What, what were they? Hand to mouth. Uh, I had uh, one young man, uh, he wasn't married, but he shared with me, uh, he said he would actually uh, not eat for two or three days at a time, and then he would go to some friend and uh, maybe get some uh, food from them. But he said most people do not eat every day. It's, it's not something that they do. So it's a common thing for them uh, to go... Uh, three or four days a week without eating food and so they survive uh, literally just survive you know just real difficult no jobs you know there's no economy whatsoever and uh, they spend most of the time just trying to get something to eat for their family you know, that, that, that's the thing that really struck me when I was in Africa is that you have this incredible labor force there, men who are healthy and strong, ready, willing, uh, ready, able, and willing to work. But like you said, they're just there's no jobs. There, there is no work. Yeah, one of the things that I wanted to do, that's why I got into farming. I'm not a farmer. I'm really in contracting uh, and when I realized how much impact it had just with that one job. And you know, the thing about those families, they just don't help their own personal family. They help the wife's family, the grandparents, their brothers, their sisters. So off of that one income, there's many uh, families that survive. So it's a real blessing. It, it's something that they really appreciate and value. Now your story's starting to get a little hard to believe. <laughs> uh, multiple families surviving off of and and but here's the really beautiful thing I think is that this man who is working and earning this wage from you 
you're giving him a gift that's far greater than $100 a month. You're giving him uh, some dignity and some self-respect because that's how God wired us. God wired us to produce, to be breadwinners, to provide for our families, to care for our wives and for our children. And when a man is put in a position where he has a sick child and can't get medicine for the child or a hungry family and he's unable to feed that family, it does something to his spirit. And here we come, well-meaning Americans, and, and we preach that, you know, we serve this God of miracles and if you just believe, everything's going to be great. So they believe, but in so many cases the next day, you know, they, they wake up hungry again. And, and so we're, we're, we're bringing them an eternal truth at, about salvation. But what's missing, and Cody, I, I don't know, the book you gave me, there's a hole in your gospel. Right. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, he, he, the, uh, he challenges the, the church. You know, he, he didn't have a particular denomination in mind, but he challenges the church and the people in the church. Uh, he gives a revelation of the poor, and when we read the scriptures, we we come from an American mentality. But uh, back then, Jesus had the poor, and he said the gospel is to the poor. Now we benefit because we are so blessed with God's grace, and He really uh, opens uh, an opportunity for people to understand that they can do something to help the poverty of the world. There's one of the things that uh, uh, these 12 men, uh, if you can understand, they had no hope, and you can see that in their eyes. They had no dignity, and now they have hope and dignity. They, they really believe that there is a God, because uh, I hired both unsaved men and uh, it didn't matter to me because I really believe the gospel will speak for itself. And those men now are now believers. And uh, they realize that uh, God answered their prayer. So uh, to to minister to the poor is really a mandate from God. It's, it's mm. really uh, the, the, the very thing the gospel challenges uh, all those people who are blessed. Amen. John, you want to jump in with some questions here? What do you see in uh, Tony in terms of uh, you know the entrepreneurial spirit becoming contagious in your area? Same question. Tony, are you there? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh that was no, we lost you. to me. I'm sorry. Yeah, he was asking what. It, ask that question again, John. Tony, what, what do you see in terms of you know making that entrepreneurial spirit contagious in uh, Kenya? Oh, my biggest uh, passion is that uh, I, I believe dignity comes from uh, men working. I you know I've been a hard worker all my life. I've had some construction companies and uh, pastored, but uh, there they have. Uh, I see opportunity everywhere. And uh, they really don't want to hand out. They want to hand up. And uh, it's a real right place for this. It's, it's really a, uh, an open door. I can see that 
men and women. I met a couple of women that had businesses, and they're doing really well, and they want to help others. So it's it's really a ripe, uh, if I could call it a, a field that's ready to plant seed in. And I believe the third world countries are all like this. I really believe there's a real opportunity. I think it was three years ago, maybe two, we, went, we flew to Nairobi and went to a city, um, Nahararuru, I don't know if uh-huh. north of, of uh, Nairobi. Or, yeah, Nairobi. So it was a, a pastor in Yakima had developed a sister city relationship, and uh, we went over there and did a business conference. And uh, the, the road over there, uh, there were stretches on, on a paved road where uh, it was less bumpy to drive in the borrow pit than it was on the road. And right. <laughs> but what I was surprised, you know, saw people walking along the roads uh, where there was some rural population, colorful clothing. Some of them could afford bicycles. About 80% of them had cell phones. That really surprised me. And... Uh, when we got there, there was a, you know, a keen interest in uh, learning how to, you know, start businesses, and there were some fairly successful businesses in this uh, small town. And the, the mayor of that city was very uh, pro-capitalism. He was very interested in seeing that uh, brought to his city. So uh, I was pleasantly surprised. You know, the I can't remember what gentleman that. Brought the uh, the cell phones into Africa, but he's a billionaire right now, I believe. And uh, I think he started in Uganda, and he put cell towers all over that country. And uh, over there, they sell time. You don't have plans, and so most people they they strive to get a cell phone, and for fifty shillings, you can get maybe twenty minutes of phone time. So everybody has a cell phone. And uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, I was in uh, Masamari, which is a uh, place where people go safari. And I saw this guy. He had the uh, uh, garment on of uh, Maasai warrior. And then he had a cell phone in his ear and Nike tennis shoes. (laughs) So it's contagious there. It really is. (laughs) You know, on, on one hand, the uh, you know I'm from Montana originally and live in Washington State now, and uh, the government's paying farmers not to grow crops because there's you know too much it would deflate the prices. So when you think about the GDP of the United States and other European or Asian countries, there's no issue about having enough food to have it. Everyone in the world be well fed. It's not even really that expensive. But the, you know, the real truth is, is uh, nations like Kenya, you know, represent opportunities. And you know, that your illustration of cell phones is just one of them. But uh, that that's the that's the new frontier that that hasn't really been tapped. Is uh, you know, just looking at the opportunities to start businesses. And, uh, and grow the economies of those local cities and, and give people an opportunity at work. We uh, uh, went to the Somalian border when I was there, and uh, you see these big oil rigs 
They just yep. discovered oil in Kenya. Yeah. And uh, there's a real opportunity there. It's it's pretty primitive area, but there's going to be a whole city built there. Uh, and it'll be all oil money. There's a real opportunity for, for the Kenyan people. Yep. And uh, farming, uh, China has uh, bought square miles of land from the Kenyan government to farm for China. And they're exporting uh, uh, produce, you know, because you can grow all year long there. And uh, rain is uh, pretty plentiful. And uh, China is, is China and I believe uh, the European countries all get organic food from Kenya. So there's a real uh, opportunity for businesses to, to start up and grow there. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about uh, yesterday when we talked. Uh, I know you're, you're working with these 12 men, and, and you guys have the, the boys there, uh, the, the street kids, I believe you call them. And I asked you what the next kind of project was that you wanted to work towards, and you talked to me about uh, the widows and the chickens, and, and we put together something to get that thing going. But tell us what the plans are, and and how does how does a ch- how does a chicken benefit a widow? How does that change the quality of life? Well, they uh, the widows that we are working with, they have a group called Merry Go Round, and it's a group that they put together with the core of leadership and uh, they're the ones that oversee the 120 widows that we're working with and for example if a widow gets sick what they would do is go to the other say 50 widows and get 20 shillings from them to uh, you know 50 times 20 thousand shillings that's the normal cost to go to the doctor Mm-hmm. Uh, so they share the burden with each other. And so what we thought we'd do is create a, a business with chickens for them to add to their bank, add to their uh, little uh, core so they can supplement uh, food. We feed them only every other week right now. And uh, they pretty much try to care for themselves. And so if we got this chicken business, and they can start selling chickens, uh, uh, which is there, there's a great need for, that they can uh, take that money. They'll learn how to do business, you know, uh, handle money, and, and there's leadership to make sure the money is put where it's supposed to be, that they can uh, take care of medical things, and if someone's hungry, they can feed them. If they uh, need clothing, they can help them. And uh, it works really well. We're doing really good with them. We just need to get some more businesses started for them. And they'll actually take care of the chickens. They don't mind working at all. Yeah, we saw that in Guatemala with um, a friend of mine. He's also a CFRN member. His name is Matt as well. And uh, he has a hotel down in Guatemala that uh, is successful and employs several Guatemalans. And um, the Guatemalan leadership there. 
uh, are working with local people to uh, they build them a chicken coop. They get them, you know, 50 chickens and then teach them how to raise them and care for them with the idea that, one, the chickens can be a source of food, but they can also sell them. And some of the challenges, you know, teaching them, okay, don't eat them all in a week. Don't just sell them all and make a quick buck. Right. you got to be able to look down the road and, you know, allow these 50 chickens to turn into 100 and just teach them. Uh, so many of them have a day-to-day mentality, you know, get it now because who knows what's going to come tomorrow. And, you know, there's a little bit of truth in that as far as, you know, it's scriptural, but also do your due diligence and don't just eat all the chickens in one day and look down the road. Matt, what kind of what kind of challenges did you come up against there? Now, I know the challenges that uh, Coney and I have, have encountered in Africa as far as men, and I think you touched on it there just a little bit. Uh, part of it is the integrity. When you deal with people who have never had anything, and now they have an opportunity to have something, uh, trying to convey that message of, of stewardship and, and what you were talking about, about, you know, you can, this isn't about feeding your family this week. This is about helping you put something in place to feed your, not only your family for a lifetime, but the generation that follows you. Um, what, what sort of challenges did you see? Well, with the laundromat, um, Jose owns the laundromat, and he has an orphanage. He's got he and his wife have six kids. Five of them are orphans, and they just come from just horrific stories. And uh, you know, we helped him create the laundromat and teach him that very concept that uh, yes, this laundromat can help you, but you can use this laundromat to, uh, you know, his daughter who's 14, when she can start to work in a few years, he can teach her the concept of business and possibly either hand off this laundromat to her or duplicate this laundromat in a different part of the city. Uh, There was about 80,000 people where we were at, so plenty of market, um, or just at the next town over. But teaching them that... um, you know, you had a good week. Don't spend all that money. You need to put some away for growth, for a broken machine, and be thinking six months, 12 months down the year. And that's just that's a concept that's real hard for a lot of people to understand that. that and, and that was a challenge. And, of course, the integrity, uh, working with the subcontractors, uh, people trying to uh, – if they know a, a, an American is involved, they, <laughs> they try to rip you off in every way and – um, the mayor of our of that city uh, would come in and threaten to turn off the water, um, and so we had to work through those issues. Uh, I mean, he's just coming in for a bribe, um, <laughs> sending his cronies in to you know bust some kneecaps if we don't pay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you have to work through that stuff and pay, pray that the Lord just kind of removes those obstacles and and um, it's still going. I mean, the business is growing every day, and um, we're excited to see what's going on with it. Well, that, that's the hand of God. I mean, I remember the first time we encountered uh, issues of integrity uh, in Africa. I remember very well being on the phone with Pastor Coney, and I was trying to stick up for somebody in Africa. I was trying to make excuses because I was saying, well, you know, come on, give the guy a break. You know, they don't ever have any, they've never had anything, and now, you know, they've got – and and, and – and Pastor Coney just stopped me dead in my tracks. He said, Dwayne, stop. Stop. I, yeah. He goes, is is he a Christian? I said, 
Yeah. He goes, does he read the same Bible that you and I read? I said, yeah. He says, well, then you can't make excuses for him. It's the same gospel all around the world. Mm. And we're going to do a great disservice to them if we don't hold them to that standard of accountability. Exactly. So that was that was an eye-opening. Now, Pastor Coney has traveled the world a lot, and done, he had done a lot of missionary work before I ever met him. You've been to the Philippines. Where else have you been, Coney? Uh, I've been to Asia and Philippines, and then uh, did a number of stuff in Europe and uh, Central America. Been there. But, uh, you know, that's where the gospel, of the, you know, you're talking about entrepreneurship. Uh, as I listen to you guys talk, uh, you can see that, that there's character involved in integrity. And I really believe this is where we become mentors to these men that are trying to start a business to save their families' lives, which it comes down to that. And I really believe the gospel is that message that we carry. You know, it's just not about money. That the message we carry about Christ's character and integrity is so important. You know, I, I, I'm working. I, I, I'm still working. I'm 64, and I'm building a uh, <laughs> a uh, school for 400 kids, and uh, I have about uh, 10 men working for me, 10 or 12. And you know the issues like you were talking, the issues that come up dealing with, uh, it's a major problem even to buy sand. You know, people try to rip you off just to buy sand so we can pour the concrete. So I get to speak firsthand, you know, and I get to challenge them about integrity and character. And then I have the street boys who I'm mentoring to learn a trade. Uh, they're watching me, man. They got their eyeballs on me. You know, how I treat people, uh, how I deal with crisis. And so it's, it's just really a good, a good scene because we get to, uh, you know, live Christ in front of these people. And, and, and you take the combination of entrepreneurship and, and the gospel, it just really has an impact. It just really ministers, especially to the orphan boys or the uh, street kids that we have, it just really ministers to them. Yeah, we would, um, with the laundromat, it's not a coin-operated coin uh, laundromat. It, they weigh the clothes. And that portion of the business where they're weighing clothes is so applicable because Proverbs talks about God hating dishonest scales. And Jose, I would tell him, you know, hey, I guarantee it, when you're weighing the clothes, there'll be a little voice that says, hey, add a few pounds, add a few pounds. And that's, that's Diablo talking to, for you to cheat. And you cannot ask the Lord to bless your business right. if you're doing something shady. And, you know, when we had our other business, the shredding company, we would weigh the paper before we would shred. And every single time weighing it, there would be that little voice, add a few pounds, add a few pounds. And uh, and so the business, uh, you know, Pastor Tony's so right where it's such a, a great platform to make it applicable to what Scripture says, integrity, treating people fairly. Um, there's so many ways to use the business to further the gospel. Yes.
Uh, by the way, it's it's Coney with a C. It's short for Conrad. I I should have cleared that up at the beginning. <laughs> Everybody always. <laughs> that's been a good good portion of the rest of my life. The last recent few years, going no no no, it's Coney. 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 Conrad. <laughs> Conrad. <laughs> oh, it's actually so, a, nick, a nickname. So now, John, uh, where you are, you're headed to Poland. Uh, Wait a minute. Let me get this straight. Uh, where is it you're headed this fall? The Netherlands and Poland. The, the Netherlands and Poland. But now you you encounter some 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 different situations and conditions where you go, correct? Or it's a little more going on this trip. Yeah, it's a little more uh, developed, particularly in the Netherlands and Poland. You see the effects of uh, you know being under Nazi Germany during the war and then under Russian occupation into the early 90s. So there, there are still, especially in older people, uh, a little hint of that bribery culture. But uh, in general, uh, the Netherlands is just like the United States for the most part, and Poland is a close second. I mean, people are very entrepreneurial, and especially the younger generation. And in fact, you know, the solution to, to me, the solution to poverty isn't the, isn't the church. It is businessmen. And, uh, so we're, we're doing business conferences and we were in a church. I, I've told this story to Duane before. I'll share it with you too. Um, and so we're just going through the nuts and bolts of businesses and, the, you know, the, some of the biblical basis for it. Same kind of stuff you guys deal with. And, uh, and this is on a, first session was a Friday night. We did a couple hours and closed it up, and the pastor had an altar call, and, you know, a bunch of people came up, and we didn't know what was going on, and then he invited us to pray with business people. So they, it turns out, out of 200 people, they had about 40 there that were not saved, had never been to church before. Now, they've all, in Poland's 99% Catholic, so they all have been to church as children, and they all have a bad taste in their mouth about church. So, we find out that as we're praying, that we're praying with people that aren't saved, and we just sort of, there were four of us there, and we started asking them if they wanted to get saved, and uh, they they jumped all over it. 35 people got saved, and the pastor was shocked, not as much as we were, and uh, it took me about two or three months to figure that out, and those people are still in that church, and they met and got more people saved, and, and uh, you know, what I realized is you know, the gospel of the kingdom is an invitation to uh, to be involved in, in building the kingdom. And when you give that invitation to people that are entrepreneurial, they jump all over it. And and those kind of people are the solution to, uh, you know, poverty and, you know, employment and, you know, building a, a functional society that has integrity because business just doesn't work without integrity. No, I mean our first little venture there, uh, Coney. Remember the little boda boda that right. we uh, that Larry bought. Right. Yeah, I mean now for the to, in case you guys don't know the term, boda boda is just this little. It's like a little scooter, uh, like a little like a little Vespa or moped or something, and people use that as transportation. Uh, you can't afford a taxi; they take the boda boda, and it's. It's an efficient, inexpensive uh, form of transportation that creates a lot of pollution. 
but we thought, hey, you know, we can we can buy one and we can get a guy and the guy will, you know, drive the Voda Voda and we'll make enough money that pretty soon we can buy another one and then two will become three and three will become five and, and pretty soon, I mean, I already had it in my head, there's going to be an army of Voda Vodas all over Kampala and each driver would be dressed in like a little uniform and it would say New Hope across their back and, you know, man, we couldn't even get the one boat boat driver we couldn't get that one to to work steady and produce and it wasn't because it's not because of a lack of people there who want as I said before there's a ready and willing labor force that wants to work and I'm not even sure what happened with this particular there's been so many instances and so many and then Larry tried to open a little store there uh, the person he was working with he bought like the opening inventory and and basically, all they had to do was just show up every day and sell the stuff and then not spend the money and then use that money to go back to the wholesaler, get more stuff. And uh, the thing that, that really encourages me, and I think, Matt, this may be in part why you had uh, such good success, is that you were there. You were living there, boots on the ground, hands-on, able to guide and direct and encourage and motivate and to make sure the scale was honest and just like Pastor Coney is now in Kenya because I, I gotta I gotta be honest many of the things we've tried to do in Kampala have not worked uh, the way we wanted them to but we're seeing great hope in Kenya because Pastor Coney is there mm-hmm. and I, I don't want to uh, make it sound like well it's just it's just better. It's better if you can have somebody there. Uh, and, and I'd like to give both of you an opportunity to respond to that and, and get your thoughts. No, that's um, – you're exactly right. And we just felt if we wanted to – the best way to have success is if we were going to be there. And you know, starting a company anywhere, if, if the owner or the key manager is not there to manage it, then it, – just things can happen and just being there on the ground to teach our experience and to encourage and and make sure finances are being used correctly and how to deal with the crises and and the briberies and all that stuff that comes up um but the the one thing that we knew was was key is finding that right person um from that culture uh because what i've learned over the over the you know, a few years living down there is, you know, the, the missionaries will come and go. And even if you live there for years and years and years, you're not of that culture. You'll never really completely understand that culture. And they'll accept you, but they'll always, you know, they're going to look at you a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And so find that right man or woman who loves the Lord, loves his people, and then pour into that person. And so with Jose and Hector, I can pour into those guys, and then they in turn can pour into their people and minister to their culture and speak their language and and relate to them a lot better than I will. Business, and we all read from the same gospel, um, but just finding those right people and pouring into them, encouraging them, and then letting them turn to their people and pour into them. Amen. uh, Connie, what what do you have to say on that? Oh, that's... You know, that's a biblical pattern. The, the issue is we have to go, and I think that's the challenge for us uh, here. You know, 
I find it such a fulfillment. I'm sure you have too. That it might be just two people. It sounds like you spent a number of years there. It might be just two, but those two will touch two, and you have this uh, impartation, and uh, that impartation really, you know, is true discipleship to me, and it's uh, the blessing of those men. I know one guy, uh, and I read his story in, in Kenya, is uh, some men like you came in and, and uh, uh, helped him start a business, and now he has 10 businesses. Mm-hmm. And he he is just, he doesn't need their help anymore. He creates the business from the funds of uh, all the businesses that he has, and, and, and uh, he even helped build the church. He's not the pastor, but he helped build the church for the group of people that that uh, uh, he supports a pastor and a congregation. So this kind of uh, impartation really it multiplies. It really does. Yeah, well, and I would see other missionaries down there uh, doing you know different ministries. You know, they they'd ask me kind of what my job was, and I, I would kind of joke and <laughs> jokingly say, but it's true. I'd say, well, I want to work myself out of a job. I want to get to the point where, you know, Jose or Hector, they they don't need me anymore. Um, because then you you can leave knowing that they've got it under control. They're going in the right direction. Because we had seen other ministries where if the Americans are, are kicked out of country or or something happens where they have to leave, a lot of those ministries stop dead in the tracks. They haven't created a local uh, set of leaders to carry the mission on in the event that the Americans leave. And, you know, as a military guy, that was the key thing was, well, if the leaders, you know, are, are taken out, the, the mission still needs to continue. And a good right. unit will operate when the key leaders are removed. Same thing down there. Yeah, we saw that played out very well uh, here not too far away, just across the border in Mexico. Uh, a number of years ago, my wife and I, we had been going down to a little town called uh, Rocky Point, or in Spanish, it's Puerto Penasco. It was a sleepy little fishing village up until, you know, about the time that real estate boom hit the U.S., things really started to jump down there. But prior to that, it was just a quiet little sleepy, sleepy fishing village and a lot of hungry people and poverty. And my wife and I went down just to have a weekend away. It's the closest ocean you can get to from Phoenix. It's a four-hour drive. And so we went, and we kind of fell in love with it. And we were uh, just down there one weekend, and I saw a little flyer that invited uh, anybody that wanted to come and help out at this thing called the Saturday Soup Kitchen. And so we went. And we did that, and we helped out, and we met some people who were down there as missionaries, and and we began to hang out with them and and just minister with them at the Saturday Soup Kitchen. And and then one Saturday, my wife was looking at the little local newspaper, and there was an article, there was just a little ad that says Sunday service, uh, spirit-filled something at the Best Western. And she goes, well, what do you think this is all about? It was just, I can't remember the exact wording of that little ad in the back of the paper. I said, I don't know, let's go check it out. 
So the next morning, Sunday morning, we went, and we went to the to the Best Western, and we went to the desk, and they said, oh, that's in the little conference room out back. So we went around back, and there was this little conference room, kind of humble. And we walked in, and that there was this was the church, and there was like six people. Now, that's the pastor and his wife and the singer and the guitar player and... There was like two other people sitting there. Uh, they had just come from Oklahoma, and they come. They came to be missionaries. And the guy that they had come down there with, uh, for some reason, he something happened with him, and he left in a huff, as I recall. The story goes something just something didn't go right, and, and so they felt abandoned. Here they were. Uh, they weren't spring chickens. They were getting on up in age a little bit, and uh, they had followed this guy down to be missionaries in Rocky Point, and all of a sudden they were like abandoned by themselves. They weren't sure what to do, and so they had rented this little conference room and put a lad in the paper, and so my wife and I came, and we saw, and that Sunday service, I'll never forget that. I mean, his wife uh, plays the piano, and they had uh, Gabby. They had met him somehow. He played the guitar, and they sang, and and Stan preached, and then they asked us if, if we wanted to say anything. So we talked and shared a little bit about our life and, and what we were doing and what we were involved with. And, man, God knit our hearts together, and we began to minister with them and support them. And what they did is that very thing uh, that you're talking about, Matt, is they, they found key people in that community, Mexican people, they didn't want to make this the white man's church or the American church. They wanted to build a Mexican church. And they were able to gather together a core group of some of the most faithful, dedicated, loyal, honest, hardworking, lovable people you're ever going to find anywhere on earth. And within five years of that morning... I want to say about five years. I may be off a little bit, but I'm going to just say roughly five years from that morning that we met them in that little conference room behind that Best Western, they built a two-story, debt-free church, and they have, I think, about two, 225 people now on a Sunday morning. And it's complete, and they have a school, and it's completely staffed uh, by Mexican pe- by the by the by the nationals, the local people there. Uh, Stan and Becky have, they've always tried to stay hands off as much as they could, but they were right there living there, so they could be involved at a moment's notice. Stan would always preach on Sunday mornings, but Gabby would translate right along beside of him. And those two, now Stan's an old bull rider. He walks with a limp. What a great guy. And and Gabby just became his apprentice and just, Coney, what can you say about them? Wasn't that just a wonderful thing to watch? That was amazing. You know, they were really up in age. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. And they related so well. I think Stan never learned Spanish. Nope. No, he never did. And uh, But he communicated. They always have an interpreter, but they really done well in that city. I think they're planting churches, aren't they? They are, yeah. They're sending out missionaries, people in their congregation, the Mexican people who, you know, were living in poverty, uh, they've not only found Christ, but they've found jobs. Stan has helped to create, uh, you know, little economic projects. They're building houses, doing different things so that men have jobs. And out of their congregation, they're sending missionaries out into other parts of Mexico that are truly poverty-stricken. And as Coney just said, they're planting 
churches. That's biblical. It's huge. And they're just the nicest, humble people. Uh, but they were very serious about what they were doing and very organized and very, ah, man, those uh, I just get a really – every time I think about all the trips we took down there, it's a four-hour drive down, and my wife and I used to go just about every other weekend, four hours down to get there on Friday afternoon, and we'd spend Friday night and Saturday, go out to the soup kitchen, go to church, Stan and Becky on Sunday morning, and then uh, head back Sunday afternoon so I could be at, at work. Now, <laughs> now, this is a true story. Uh I had it was during this time that we met them and I my wife and I were going to Mexico to and working with them and we were we had the the home for men and women and I had just started going to Coney's church and Coney was you know from the pulpit he just getting to know me we became friends but it you know relationships take time to build but I remember him telling me this he said Dwayne I would look out there and every other Sunday like clockwork you'd be missing and he says Man, I was praying for you. I was just praying that you would, you know, become a regular <laughs> churchgoer. He said, I didn't know you were off down in Mexico, you know, ministering to people. I just was praying for you to show up in church. And, and I, th I thought that was a funny story because we don't always know what other people are doing and how they are about their father's business. But the fact that he was concerned about me and was praying for me, I I'm sure that had to help me on every one of those little drives and every one of those little trips. That got to be a long drive, man. And we went for a long time, every other weekend, and now we haven't been in a couple of years, and we even have a little mission property down there. Uh, Young Life is using it right now, but they may be moving on, so we're going to have to find somebody else to occupy the property. But our kids that we just adopted here in Phoenix, uh, we've got their birth certificates now so we can get a passport so we can actually take them down to Mexico. For two years, we've kind of had our hands tied. We couldn't go down because the kids couldn't cross the border. used to be you didn't have to have uh, a passport to just go down to Rocky Point, but now with new border security and all of that, uh, you actually need one just to cross back and forth. So, hmm. Hey, Blake, uh, Dwayne, can I ask a question to yes, sir. those gentlemen? You bet. You know, uh, uh, this is a question about poverty and entrepreneurship. Uh when you guys look at poverty, um, you know, what does the Lord minister to you? And then how, from the standpoint of entrepreneurship, how, how would you engage and implement help? And how much do you do? Uh, how much should you invest? You know, what, what does that look like to you? Yeah. You know, if you... Maybe you can share a little bit. Um, I guess I can start. Yeah, poverty is um, there's there's a lot of deep issues with self-esteem and how people view themselves, and people get in such a deep hole um, where they, I think, Dwayne or Pastor Coney, somebody was mentioned earlier, the hope. You know they lose their they lose all hope, and uh, and so there's so many obstacles to overcome just with giving them hope, and you know that starts with the gospel, and and really just relying on the spirit to be breaking through and encouraging these people with 
with the hope of Christ, and then on and building on that, um, you know, the freedom that can come with owning your own business and the dignity and being able to provide for your family and maybe create another business and being able to create create jobs. But it is a long it's a long haul. Uh, and it takes a lot of time. And Dwayne, you mentioned about building relationships. That is absolutely key. Um, I think the American mindset: we want things done, and we want them done now. And um, it just takes a long time. Um, but it takes people to, you know, to move out of the country and to go live among the people and find those key people and 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 just calling on the power of the Lord to. To break through that the generational mindset of poverty, where it's you know it's handouts, 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 because uh, kids hear that from day one. They just see a, a white man walking down the road, and they just walk up to him and say, "Give me, give me, give me." But then trying to break through that and teach them about, you know, what does Scripture say about providing for your family? What does Paul say? You know, if you don't work, you don't eat. And, um, but it's a tough it's a tough road, but it can be done. It just takes time. I, right. I totally agree with uh, what you say, Matt. Um, and, and in fact, I think we could help ourselves, you know, if we, you know, we in America, I mean, we just preach the gospel we hear in our own churches in other countries. And the, and the fact is, that it doesn't always work here either. You know, we preach sort of a gospel of salvation instead of a gospel of the kingdom. And uh, there's a verse I like in Second Corinthians 8 says, Though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And 99% of the time we wave that off as, you know, he's talking about spiritual stuff. But the fact is that I think that verse just plainly says that, you know, like you're sharing, you know, poverty is a mindset. The, the reverse, you know, prosperity is... Not not only a mindset. I, I think it's something that's in the atonement. I think it's the will of God to help us learn how to prosper. So our discipleship process just doesn't even touch on the concept of uh, teaching people how to prosper. You know, you, you, there's no such thing as a, a church teaching disciples cash flow. Um, <laughs> it's just not in the cards. And until it is, we're going to keep producing poverty. In fact, if you look at the other mountains like politics, I mean, the net effect of, uh, I mean, the reality is in nearly every nation in Africa, especially, you know, the south half, the per capita number of Christians is higher than the state of Washington where I live. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we got them saved, you know, no criticism against people like Billy Graham and Reinhard Bonnke. You know, they're doing what they should be doing, but this the message we give them doesn't cause them to be engaged in their society. It just causes them to sit in a pew. And uh, the fact is, we got to we got to change our message and and take credit for the fact of what businessmen do in the kingdom. And same for politicians and educators. And uh, you know, our our goal. You know, I used to read the Great Commission is. You know, go, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples. It doesn't say that. It says make disciples of nations. And right. You can't do that unless you change the culture and teach people mm -hmm. how to prosper and have honest politicians. You know, we struggle with that in America. We do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's... Um 
you know, God created work, and then when the fall happened, yeah. it became cursed. And um, you know, so many people today just hate Monday mornings, and um, and so there's a spiritual battle there as well. But you know, the freedom, you know, the feeling of of, of working uh, with your hands or whatever the case may be, and the joy of having a good hard day's work, uh, that's just not taught. And 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 how to find joy in work, and how to find um, joy in providing uh, employment, and on top of that, um, you know, hard work leads to profit. That that that's in Proverbs as well. And there's nothing wrong with profit, as long as the money's not your god. You know, use that profit to create more businesses, to build those schools, to to help your neighbors. Um, but the churches, a lot of the churches have done such a you know a poor job with kind of looking at profits as evil. And, um, and but using the right way, it's a powerful tool to help and to further the kingdom. Yeah, I mean, it's the only tool we got. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to take offerings out of churches and do anything. Right. Much, I mean, a church. A church survives on profits, and people give from their paychecks to you know. So it's a it's a long battle. And some of the old school missionaries, where it's 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 you know that's not that the business's mission concept is very new. And we ran into resistance from other missionaries where they just saw it as capitalism, and you're just you know making money off of people. But no matter what really? argument, example, really, you, Matt, you ran in you ran into that sort of an obstacle. Yeah, they just felt that, you know, well, as a true missionary, you need to be living on faith and let God bring, you know, the donations in. And hmm. um, that, That's the message that gets preached. It's not, it's not a surprise. Well, and that's, you know, because people go out and they get donations, and yes, there's an element of faith on hoping that the donations come in. But you talk to any business owner, and, you know, at the end of the day, I can go out and talk to hundreds of people and have the best sales presentation, but, and, but at the end of the day, I've got to pray that the Lord brings the customers, and, and there's a huge amount of faith um, that is, is involved with businesses. But, yeah, so those are just some of the obstacles you hit in the mission field where, you know, they do a good job teaching the gospel, but then, you know, these men have to be able to provide them for their families, and, that aspect of teaching them business and a kingdom business is just missing missing in the mission field. That was, that was one it's, of the things that I I saw with the missionaries. You know, for for there were the in their old mindset, and for somebody to actually try to create a business, you, you know, you're almost in sin. And, yeah. Right. Uh, right. And so it, 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 you know, brought a stigma to you, you know, because missionaries are really a kind of close knit group over there. They have, they have barbecues, and you meet them, and they'll tell you, you know, who they're depending on, and you know, it, it, and one aspect, it's 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 okay. I understand what they're saying. Then on the other aspect, I look at poverty as this great curse, and yet. Uh, Kenya has all these resources, mm-hmm. and they're starving to death. It's just crazy, I, you know. So entrepreneurship or whatever business, it, it has to be created for them to to break that curse because they're the only ones that can. You know, mm-hmm. you're just preaching to the choir if you you're saying you know God will help you and everything, and then you go as a missionary. 
the reality is is they have all these. That's why I asked you the question about poverty because uh, it's it's such a deep curse on the whole country that everybody just lives for today. You know, what am I going to eat today? How am I going to survive today? So to right. build a build a business is long term. You know, there's time involved, there's patience, there's struggles. Right. And and uh, that's why I asked you, how would you address poverty? You know, to to because that's really the issue. But yeah. you know, if you look at the, the the typical Christians sitting under the gospel that's preached in any church in America, you know, the the product is you know, people that come to church every Sunday and tithe and have a job and live paycheck to paycheck. You know, the the whole concept of being entrepreneurial and having a dream is not a part of the message. Yeah, and it really the the freedom. And um, you know, most of my friends are the paycheck to paycheck, and you know, I'm I'm 40 years old, and I've got um, we've been blessed with businesses, and it could be the middle of the afternoon, in the middle of the week, and if you know if the work is done, you know, then my day's pretty much open, and. I, you know, most of the time there's really not, no friends to hang out with because they all have to, you know, go to their job from eight to five, and they lose that freedom when they when they work for you know a corporate America company. They just they're told when they can take their time off, and they're they're they have to be there Monday through Friday, and and, um, and I'm not demonizing that industry as a whole but you lose a lot of freedom to be able to just go help your neighbor in the middle of the week who's in in help they can't they got to get time off from work but as an entrepreneur you you're in control of your time a lot more and you can use that time uh, when prompted by the Lord to go to go and do Matt, do you have any plans at all? I think I asked you this at the beginning, and you said it's as God leads. Whether you go back or not, but are you still? Uh, do you consider yourself still to be managing these laundromats, or have you completely turned them over uh, to the guy? I think Jose, you said his name was that that you raised up there. Yeah, I'll go down. My goal is to go back to Guatemala and Costa Rica at least once a year, if not twice a year, to uh, just check in on the guys. And I'm in email contact with them two, three, four times a month. And uh, we're all good friends. And uh, so, yes, I plan to um, stay involved as long as possible. Uh, you know, the laundromat, we... We financed it, and, and Jose uh, will start to pay back the money uh, as part of the real-world business model where, you know, if you take a loan to start something, you have the responsibility of paying that back. Um, if something happens and the whole thing falls through, then, you know, you know, it's not about the money to me but about the responsibility of, um, you know, paying that back. That's the realities of business. Um, and and then also with Costa Rica, that's a little bit bigger project. And uh, but yes, I plan to stay involved as long as possible. But let these guys manage it, right? According, how long do you plan to stay? I mean, you've retired from your job here in America, and you know you could be driving around America in your <laughs> Winnebago, uh, but you've chosen to uh, live out at least this portion. 
of your golden years. I, I remember I told my wife last night, I said, this guy can't be retired. He looks like a teenager. I mean, you look good, man. This this living has really uh, it's done wonders for you. It suits you. Do you think you'll be there another five years, ten years, or have you not planned that out yet? No, I feel that uh, as long as I'm able, uh, my wife has really uh, blossomed. She's always been the pastor's wife, mm. and uh, she really uh, is. She plays the piano, the whole the whole yeah. thing. And uh, she's always believed the gospel is, uh, is something that you do. You just don't preach it. She's, uh, she's always uh, uh, giving me a hard time by just being a preacher. So when we went to Africa, she, she completely just uh, began to be in her element. And uh, she ministers to the widows. She personally is involved in their lives. She visits them. And she's uh, a mother to the orphan boys. It's just amazing. Uh, as long as she's happy, I, I, I'll keep doing it. I, I really feel that uh, there's such a real opportunity just to bless a lot of people. And like the brother said, the nation. You know, you go and make, bring the gospel to the nation. So we're having a real impact in Kenya. I've got your website up on the screen, <clears throat> which, Matt, by the way, I went looking for your website. I found a blog, but I thought I had, I had seen another website of yours at one point. Um, no, I don't have a website okay. for the coffee. I've got a video we're working on on okay. the coffee, but not a website. All right. Well, Coney, I've got missions for orphans, and for anybody that's logged in right now, you can actually see on the screen uh, the website I have up. But for those of you who are just listening or those who listen to the podcast uh, after the fact, and by the way, you can tell your friends that uh, if they just search the Internet for Releasing Kings, the podcast, they'll be able to find uh, this once I get it uploaded uh, later today, and it'll be in the iTunes store as well for anyone that has an iPhone or iPad. Now, I've got your website up, Coney, and for those listening in after the fact, it's missionsfororphans.org, O-R-G, missionsfororphans.org. I've got up the project that uh, you did recently, the Oya Clean Water Well Project. That was April of last year. Right. The well was dug by hand, 80 feet deep. Uh, we cased the well for a cost of $800 to prevent collapse. We finished it in May. Uh, we've also completed a clean water project for the village of Kipsina. Total cost was $2,200. Then it breaks down <clears throat> what you spent, and then it shows some pictures of the guys digging. Now, did these people have any any clean drinking water before you before you did this project? No, that that's uh, the real issue, and you, you've probably seen many uh, different uh, documentaries on the fact that the majority of their sickness comes from uh, uh, tainted water. Uh, so we, when we can, we'll, we'll go in in a village. We, we work in the villages. We're not really in the cities, so... Uh, we go to the villages, the out-of-the-way places, and and they have no infrastructure. They don't have anything of that nature. So uh, 
water is a major, major problem. And and just to have waters is is really a blessing to any kind of community, especially the villages. Now this project was done for twenty two hundred bucks, but I'm, I guess each each project will be unique and will have its own. Is there an average cost to, to put down a well to bring fresh water? Well, it just depends how you do it. Uh, if you use a rig, it's it gets really expensive, at least over ten thousand. And you know, of course, they're they're uh, encased and they have a pump on them not an electric pump but a hand pump uh, they run between 10 and 15,000 and I have a friend that uh, is from England he is bringing a rig into the country so he said he'd give me a deal but you still have fuel costs and labor costs but uh, these wells that we dig by hand that's uh, pretty much the normal price. Hmm. So uh, it's real beneficial to the villages. Every village is, has an issue with water. You'll see them dipping water out of, uh, you know, little gullies in the wash or. or God, and I remember seeing these little kids with these huge water containers. I mean, these containers yeah. of water had to weigh more than a little kid, and they've got it balanced up on their head, and they're walking with it, yeah. trying to get some. You know, some water back home to drink. Now, on your website, is there any particular thing on the website I might you want me to point out to people? Any project that's ongoing that people can email? Is there? Yeah, you've got to contact us on your. And Matt, if you can get me some contact information for you, I'd like to make that available on our website so people can get a hold of you with any questions or. Okay. They're headed down that way. I see, yeah, Connie, on your website, you've got the contact us page. I see the programs, and I was just looking at the photo gallery. Yeah, we... uh, Go ahead. We do a a lot of medical missions, and it's amazing that uh, uh, we try to go into a village where they don't have access to doctors or or, uh, medical help. And so, uh, as we get funds or people want to give to those things and we do much as we can Uh, that's a real a real blessing to do those and then uh, obviously to help the widows we still have another 80 widows that we need to uh, find some kind of uh, income for and then uh, we have a couple of orphanages that we we take care of so the years ago, remember we did the pig project for the widows. Yeah, is that yeah. something that's still uh, it's feasible? That's still feasible to do because I like that model the way the way we did it back then. I forget. I think it was twenty dollars per piglet. We gave it to a widow, and she had to agree to what was it to tithe one of the piglets every time the pig had a litter back right. into the group. Is that how we did? Right. Is that how that worked? Now, yeah. Chris managed that and ran that for us, and as far as I know, uh, well, in theory, it should still be growing. I don't know for a fact that it is, but have you done anything at all with pigs? No, I haven't done that, but it's a real great concept. Over there, uh, instead of pigs, they use goats. You know, goats can eat anything, so they don't take much. They need a little bit of water. Uh, I did start a young man in the area that we did the uh, uh, water project, the hand-dug one, 
I did give him some goats, and he is sustaining his family right now. We bought him five goats, and, and they multiplied. I think he has 12 now. That was just last year. And he has used some of the goats to, uh, uh, you know, eat mm-hmm. by needs. But it, it really works. It works well. And do, you can sell the milk from the goats, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, or maybe you just drink it, you know, to have nutrition. Yeah, you. Yeah, they they do. They use it. Uh, you know, the benefit of the milk from the goats. So there's a lot of things that you can do. I, what I try to do is focus, you know, and because uh, there's so many needs, and I try to uh, get a project started and get it completed. But uh, we can do those things. We do help people uh, periodically with that kind of stuff. Now. Some of you on the radio program will remember not too long ago I was, you know, bragging or boasting or whatever about this incredible corn crop that we were bringing in. 175 acres, 12 feet tall, ear as big as a man's forearm. I was bragging on God. I wasn't bragging about our own exploits. Uh, But then the rain came, and rain's good. You need rain to grow corn, but somebody forgot to turn the faucet on. Because how much rain eventually fell there? It was like 12 inches of rain in a month when the corn was ready to harvest. It was the worst possible time because you couldn't get into the fields. And so we lost, uh, I think, almost half the crop. Well, over half the crop. And we had 170 acres. So uh, it just set us back in terms of farming so farming is a uh, uh, is really a uh, a good business there and and I have a brother that's in uh, Malawi he uh, has 250 acres and he has a school of 400 and he worked for IBM and he's an entrepreneur and he has a chicken business has 5,000 chickens mm. Oh. And uh, he has a school of 400 uh, widows, and he uh, farms, and he uses all that money. Those things maintain his school for for the the, the village, and he he is uh, getting ready to go, I believe, to Tanzania and start another one, and uh, using those uh, principles of uh, of business, and so he's doing really well. And, and so uh, the work he's doing in the expansion, that is, he's self-sustaining, or is he still bringing in money from the states to to expand? He said it's about three-quarters about sustainable. Three quarters. Yeah, yeah. And then the other the, the other quarter, he said, is, is just maintenance, you know, the uh, uh, maintaining the home he has there, the compound, those kind of things, the cars, vehicles. But everything else maintains the school. He has uh, 400 kids. And education, really, there is a golden opportunity. You know, government schools are really uh, pretty poorly run. Right. So you can even use schools, you know, like uh, Chris did in uh, Uganda. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he can use a school to actually have a business. Right. Right. And you're headed back in, what, about a week? Yeah, I'll be there. Uh, Next and John, week. when do you head to Poland and the Netherlands? First of November is uh, first and second of November is our conference. 
the Netherlands. We'll be in Poland after that. Well, John, do you have any uh, any final questions for either one of these guys? Anything you want to ask them no, or I share just, with them? Uh, I just think your model is the future of missions. So my hat's off to you. <laughs> May it multiply. Thank Amen. I, it's just a great example. And uh, Matt, you and I'll continue to get to know one another. And uh, Coney, this time as you're back there, uh, I, I know that I'm not the best with emails and all of that, but I really do want to do uh, at least, I'd like to do a, a five or ten minute phone call each week, uh, and we can use Skype. We'll just have to get the times figured out. Now, my radio show every day, the daily show, Monday through Friday, and I'd like to have you one day a week if I could, sometime between 12 noon and 2 p.m. Eastern, Eastern time. So right now in Phoenix, that would be on Phoenix time. We're talking uh, 9 to 11 a.m. What time is that in Katali? Probably the middle of the night. Yeah, it's about, uh, it'll be like midnight. Okay, well, that yeah. won't work. So what we'll do is we'll do it at a different time, and I'll record it, and then I'll just play it back during the show. That's what I'll do. Okay. That's what uh, I'll do. I'd like to do that. I can serve Because I know stories. that last night I talked about the chickens and our partners meeting, and I've gotten a lot of emails from a lot of the different guys and say, hey, man, that's, that's powerful, that's exciting, that's real. Uh, you know, I shared that TED video with everybody, and I don't know, uh, Coney, did you have a chance to watch that link I sent you last night? Yes, I did. I, now, I what watched. did you think about that? Uh, you know, it, it, it was, I had my mentality, like he said, because I thought overhead was an issue. Exactly, me yeah. too, me too. Yeah. I was the big guy, that, oh, the overhead, that's the evil ogre, you know, you can't have overhead. But that really changed my way of thinking. But look, tell, share your thoughts with me. Well, you know, when you're a businessman, you know, that, that initial investment really is you're looking for the, uh, uh, the business to produce. And I think if we take that same concept like he's talking about, I was really impressed with the numbers. Mm -hmm. It just flabbergasted me, the numbers of uh, what was invested and what was the return. I couldn't believe it. Now, John, I, I know you saw that video. Matt, have you seen it, uh, the TED Talk about uh, charitable giving? Not that particular episode. Um, I'm going to look that me Let me send you a link to that because I, I was always raised to believe that, you know, that these charities with a lot of overhead, it's no good, they aren't helping anybody, it's wrong. But the way this guy broke it down... Just to give you an example of some of the numbers, they raised, and John and I talked about this on the last, uh, on our last show two weeks ago, that this guy raised $500 million for breast cancer research, but in, he, in large part it came because he took out full-page ads in like the New York Times and the Los Angeles Times and inviting people to come and participate in one of these races for the cure and walks for the cure. And he got hung out to dry and I guess ultimately lost his job with this charity over how he raised $500 million. And, and he asked in the video, he says, well, you know, we could have gone the other route. We could have put up some flyers in a few laundromats. Do you think we might have raised $500 million 
that way. So it was just a real shakeup for me and my way of thinking. Talk about thinking outside of the box. Wow. Suddenly my box was turned into a paper sack or something. I didn't know. I had to just rethink everything I ever thought about charitable giving and how a 501c3 is structured, how it's ran, how it's managed, how it's funded. And I'm still, now this guy got me thinking, I'm still trying to sort all of that out. Because I have a 501c3. Pastor Coney has a 501c3. Uh, Matt, I'm sure you probably do. And uh, John, I, do you have one as well? No. No? Okay. But you do, Matt? Is that correct? No, we're uh, we're independent all the way. <laughs> well, no, I don't mean by independent. I'm just saying you have uh, charitable status in case anyone wants to give to your organization. N- uh, no, we uh, it w- went through our church, so, okay, um, so I can provide that information. I got you. Okay. That, that's what I was trying to figure out. Yes, sir. Okay. So, yeah, no, we're not hitting up for a donation here. I was just trying to uh, establish that, you know, Everything I ever heard about 501c3s and how they're funded and how they're managed, uh, I'm, I'm having to rethink that now because maybe the overhead is not the evil thing that uh, I was taught that it was. You know, so because hmm. I've stood in the pulpit and preached about poor Sally Struthers crying on TV, and they're wasting all your money because the CEO's taking a limousine to work. Well. Hmm. Lord, forgive me. I, you know, I may have been right or wrong or partially right, but i got to rethink that now. i got to rethink those words and that sermon because I may have got it wrong. Hmm. And thank God for the humility to admit when I'm wrong. I, hope I, if I, I don't ever want to lose that. When I make a mistake, I want to be able to look God square in the eye and go, God, I, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. And I want to be able to look you in the eye. Whoever you is, you, I want to be able to look you in the eye and go, I made a mistake and I'm sorry. I'm human. But by the grace of God, I'll do better next time. We do definitely have, uh, you know, what is it, three-quarters of the world is in in poverty. So uh, I was going to give this illustration. I don't know how much time we have. We went to uh, the border to to look at the uh, refugee camps. And they have uh, 500,000 people from the Sudan and Somalia living on the northern border of Kenya. It costs them $36 million a month to maintain that. And okay, now who's maintaining there. this? Who, who's, who's doing this? Uh, U.S. government, uh, Europe, uh, and they fund the U.N., and then okay. they have Feed the Children and other organizations. Right now, they told me there are $125 million uh, in need. So they have this insurmountable task of feeding these people every day. And I thought I was going to go to this uh, uh, place. I know refugee camps are really difficult, but the city in which all these 5013Cs are, uh, I've never been in such a horrible city in all my life. I, I could not believe the condition of the city. So just giving money away is not the solution. And they are coming right. to grips with this. They are trying to uh, create uh, uh, businesses. They use people within the camps. They are taking them and they're, you know, making restaurants. They're uh, they're doing services, you know, making uh, different stuff mm-hmm. to get these people to have uh, some kind of income. 
because they're completely devastated and there's no way to keep this funding up. You know, most countries are, are broke. They don't oh, have yeah. The, right. They don't have the money to... Yeah, and most countries don't have the printing press America has. We, we've been broke for a long time. We just keep printing more money. <laughs> Other countries at least man up and go, doggone it, we're broke. Right. We don't have any more money, you know? Oh, they got this real dilemma. A half a million people in all these countries are broke. And uh, we went up there to look at some projects they had. They're trying to irrigate farm, use irrigation. And uh, they have a a big lake up there. And so they're taking these people. These are people next to the lake and they're giving them a plot of land and, uh, making them work, put them to work, say, feed yourself. Hmm. They're desperate. And so, you know, what we are talking about, and I was reading John's, uh, some of the, uh, uh, the things that you had written and what a fit. I mean, these people, you know, if we, we can bring the message or bring men like you over there to help them, uh, they're desperate. They need they need men and women that can minister this kind of revelation to them. So you guys, you ready to go, John? Yeah. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Now, now come on. Now, Dwayne? <laughs> that, that didn't, I don't know. That, 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 that yes sounded a little, I don't know. Are you ready? Both of you are invited to Kenya, Africa. How's that? Mm, let's go. <laughs> that is an open invitation, guys, and he means it from the bottom of his heart. He's got a very nice little compound there uh, in in Katali. What do you have on the compound? You got five bedrooms in the yeah, house. Yeah, five. Yeah. And it's, it's a new modern. It's a like a modern little house, right? Yeah, it's got a shower and a toilet. <laughs> what else do you need? <laughs> I'll never forget our first church service in Kampala. Uh, my wife asked to go to the bathroom, and uh, Pastor Chris had one of the ladies of the church says, "Oh, she'll she'll take you." And so they led my wife out back to this little, kind of like a little shack, kind of a building, and and my wife goes in and. And then in a few minutes, she comes. Well, she she comes she comes back out and tells the lady, "There's something wrong." Lady, like, "What's wrong?" She goes, "Well, there's no toilet in there." <laughs> and 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 the lady sticks her head in there and looks at the hole in the ground and goes, "Yeah, right there." That that's it's <laughs> so oh what an eye opening experience. Now we were staying in a little uh, hotel that was kind of run for. Uh, People there on missions trips. Uh, what was that place called? Oh, the Namberembi House. Yeah, there you go. I have such warm, fuzzy memories of that place. They played Christian music on the sound system. It was up on the hillside, overlooking the city, and we would get up early in the mornings and we'd watch the sun rise up over the city. We were up on a hill a little bit. Remember, we'd sit in that little hut up there and, and have our morning coffee. Right. And all. And, oh, and and now here's another thing you could hear. And I would get up purposely for this reason. Now some people are going to say this is sacrilegious, but I would get up even before that, before the sunrise, and I would walk down from the hotel a little ways, or from the the hostel, whatever you call it, and down the hill somewhere, there was the Muslim call to prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard the Muslim call to prayer in a foreign tongue, then 
I've since studied on it and read about it, and there were people who had wrote this, and they were Christian people. They were not Muslims, but they agreed that this is one of the most beautiful sounds they've ever heard. And I was so taken by it, I would get up every morning early just to go hear it. I mean, I can't do it. I can't replicate it, but I'm sure you can go on the Internet and you can hear it. And so that element of it, it, the jungles all around us, it's not far, even though we're in Kampala, this, this city that's just packed with people. I forget how many millions live in how many square miles, but it's high density. But we're up on the hill, a little bit above it. It's dark, it's still, and then this voice, this voice just comes out, and it's calling people to come pray. You know, they may have some confusion about who it is they should be praying to, but it, it's a call to prayer. I took it as my own call to prayer to, to the God I serve, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and oh wait, it's the same God. Now that confuses a lot of people there too. They pick up the Quran and they realize it's the same cast of characters. And then they drop it and they go, oh, boy. Uh, we won't, we'll save that for another conversation. Many people don't know. I don't want to topple too many sacred cows in one day. So, <laughs> But anyway, it was those mornings. I remember that. And you know, as long as I live, uh, the times I've had, beginning, going down to Mexico with Stan and Becky, doing things in the mission field, and then going uh, with Coney to Africa and all a new experience, never, you know, had never had envisioned or imagined that I would be in those places for those kinds of reasons, and just having the absolute time of my life. And so I would speak this to anyone who is listening to this radio broadcast or this webcast today, or if you hear it a, a month from now or five years from now on the internet. There's a lost and dying world out there that needs to hear the gospel. There's also a billion people that went to bed hungry last night. Not because they didn't get their snack before they went to bed. I'm talking hungry, gut-ripping hungry. People are dying today because they don't have clean water to drink. You and I, we won't even drink the water that comes out of our tap because it doesn't taste good. We buy bottled water. We're going to throw food away this week because it's spoiled before we had a chance to eat it. I don't say that to make anyone feel bad or, or to make anyone feel guilty. I say that to remind each and every one of us who has the privilege of calling ourselves an American. I want to remind us how blessed we really are, how thankful we need to be, how we should live out each day of our life with this incredible attitude of gratitude. Because I played no part in being born an American. God chose me for some reason to be born here. I could have been born in Africa or some other place. God had a purpose and a destiny for my life in allowing me to be born here, to live here, to be educated here. It says in the Bible... That to whom much is given, much is required. And I just want to say today, before you and everybody, that God, all that I have is yours. All of it. Show me 
what you want, where you want it. Give me the strength to deliver it. That's all I ask. I want to live out the rest of my, the rest of the days of my life, no matter how many or how few of those there may be. I want to live out my life changing this world, making it a better place than I found it, and I want to do it all for the glory of God. These are the good old days. John, will you pray us out? Amen. Father, we just thank you that, uh, Father, we are well able to overcome the spirit of poverty around the world. Yes. Lord, we ask for the wisdom and, uh, Father, that, that you would enable us to uh, just implement a solution that would cause the kingdom of God to be manifest on earth in a practical way. Lord, we ask you for the nations, for Kenya, for Uganda, for Poland, Netherlands, even for the United States, we ask you for honesty in, in, in government. Father, we ask you for integrity in business. Father, we ask you for righteousness in education. Lord, let your name be glorified. Father, we just uh, count it a privilege to be able to be participants in building your kingdom. It started out as a grain of mustard seed, but Lord, it's it's uh, going to end in a mighty, mighty army that is more than conquering. We just uh, we just lift your name up and praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys, uh, Coney. I'm going to be with you every step of the way in prayer, brother. And I am going to do a good job of staying in touch, and we're going to talk each week and. Matt, I look forward to getting to know you more. And John, uh, you and I will be back here doing this radio, radio show again uh, two weeks from today. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Dwayne, and yeah, I pray that the Lord continues to use you, you man, in mighty ways. Thank you so much. God Matt, bless you all. I want to get your phone number somehow and chat with you some more offline. Yeah, I'll email Dwayne uh, all my contact yeah, I'll, info, I'll, and Dwayne, you can send it to whoever. I'll put everybody's email uh, in one, and I'll send it to everybody so all of you guys can connect with each other. Great. Super. Thank you. All right, guys. All right, have a great weekend. All right, y'all have a great weekend, too. Thanks again Thanks. for being on the show, and folks, we'll see you back here uh, two weeks from today, 5 p.m. Eastern, Releasing Kings, the podcast. You're listening to CFRN, a community of believers who trade for a living. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and how we do it, call toll-free 1-866-928-3310 and we'll send you out a no-obligation information kit absolutely free. 866-928-3310.